Well, like David, I want to extend my welcome to you who are visiting today or watching maybe at home for the first time. Welcome. We're glad you're here with us at Pinewoods Church. We're doing a summer series this summer months called the Summer of Hope. And in these uh, summer months, we're going to be looking at some of my favorite passages on hope in the scripture. And this morning we come to Jeremiah chapter 29, and we'll be reading verses 4 through 14. This is God's word from Jeremiah 29, verse 4 through 14. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of God. Let's go to him now in prayer. O Lord our God, the Holy One of Israel, the great God of creation, the great God of providence, the great God of salvation, we ask that you would speak to us through your word, for we, your servants, listen. Hear our prayer, we pray in Jesus' name and by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Have you ever had a day like this? Hit it. Proceed straight. Well, we're 0 for 6. Last chance is the Elmhurst Country Club. Other side of the lake on the southeast side. I don't get it. I really don't get it. I thought this would work. Through everything I had at that guy, nothing. That's how it goes sometimes, you know? You lose everything, and everything falls apart, and eventually you die, and no one remembers you. That is a very good point, Dwight. Make a right turn. No, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. It means bear right. No. Up there. It said right, so take a right. No, 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 look. It, it means go up 
to the right, bear right over the bridge and hook up with 307. Make a right. Maybe it's turn. a shortcut, Dwight. It said go to the right. It can't mean that. There's well, a lake there. I think it knows where it is going. This is the, the machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's not Stop yelling. yelling. There's no boat here. Remain calm. I have trained for this. Okay. Exit the window. Here we go. Make a U-turn, if possible. Look out for later. Are you okay? Swim for it! I got you! I got you! Michael! Michael! Let go! Let go of me! Come on! I got you! You sure you're okay? Fine. Good. That is what's most important. Did you get the rental insurance? Because that is pretty important too at a time like this. Sometimes it feels like you're lost. Sometimes it feels like you don't know which way to turn. Sometimes it feels like you have a friend sitting next to you in the front seat who says helpful things like, that's how it goes sometimes. You lose everything, everything falls apart, and eventually you die and nobody remembers you. <laughs> sometimes you drive right into the lake and you didn't even buy the rental insurance. Have you ever had a day like that? Or a week like that, or a month like that, or a year like that. Maybe your whole high school experience was a living metaphor of Michael and Dwight driving into the lake. Well, if so, I have good news for you. It's good news for graduates. It's good news for parents and, gradu and grandparents of graduates. It's good news for the church. It's good news for the whole world. Jesus will never steer you into the lake. To know Jesus is to know that God loves you and has an amazing plan for your life. Even when you don't have an amazing plan for your life, God does. The Bible calls that hope. Verse 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. On Tuesday in our staff meeting, I mentioned that I was going to be preaching on this, and Emma Schelling, one of our high school graduates and intern extraordinaire, said, I can't wait for that. I love that passage. That's my graduation verse. I love Jeremiah 29, 11. I do too. I think Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of the most hopeful verses 
in the whole Bible. In fact, I don't know how we could do a summer of hope without Jeremiah 29, verse 11. In a world where so many of us feel like strangers and exiles, in a world where so many of us feel like we just don't belong here, in a world where most of us, at some point in time, have taken the right-hand turn directly into the lake. God is saying to us, do not be afraid. Don't worry. I've got this. I am in control. Because of Jesus and the gospel of his grace, we have hope that's bigger than our circumstances. Because of Jesus and the gospel of his grace, we have hope that's stronger than our fears. Because of Jesus, we have hope that is rooted in the eternal plans and purposes of God. In a world that's filled with so many uncertainties, gospel hope is certain hope. Because it's not rooted in the breakable promises that we make to God. It's rooted in the unbreakable promises that God has made to us in Jesus. Verse 13, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. In other words, even when we sin, God pulls us out of the lake. He restores our fortunes. He brings us back home. If you're taking notes this morning, here's our outline. As we think about gospel hope this morning from Jeremiah 29, 11, and verses, really verses 4 through 14, I want us to think about three things about gospel hope. If you want gospel hope, you have to know these three things. Number one, you need to know where you are. Number two, you have to know where you're going. And number three, you need to know how to get there. Where are we? Where are we going? And how do we get there? Let's take a closer look. The first big idea is this. If you want gospel hope, you have to know where you are. Now, not geographically. I'm not talking about Florida or Pensacola or Pinewoods Church. I'm talking about something much deeper. I'm talking about something which, with much more eternal and spiritual significance. I'm talking about knowing where you are apart from Christ and knowing about where you are because of Christ. Verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles of whom I sent into exile from Jerusalem 
to Babylon. Now, what is the prophet Jeremiah talking about here? Well, in the 500s BC, Babylon was the most powerful nation in the world. They were a military juggernaut. They were an economic powerhouse. They were an empire in every sense of the world. There was word. There was no nation on earth that had the power and influence and stature of Babylon. Now, initially, because of their great power, the Israelites signed a treaty with Babylon. They agreed to pay taxes to Babylon, and Babylon, in return, offered to protect them, making them a vassal state or a satellite state under the umbrella of the power of the great Babylonian empire. But eventually, the Israelites rebelled against the Babylonians. Babylon invaded, they tore down the walls that were surrounding the city of Jerusalem, they completely destroyed the temple that Solomon had built, and they took the best and the brightest of all the Israelites away into Babylon as exiles. These exiles became citizens of a new country. They gave them new names. They fed them new food, Babylonian food. They gave them a Babylonian education. Rather than oppress them or suppress them or exile them, they decided to assimilate them. They said, you can be full citizens of the most powerful nation on the earth as long as you become just like us. As long as you think like us and act like us and speak like us, every day when the trumpets sound, you must bow the knee to our king and you will be free. Now, if that sounds familiar, it should because that's almost exactly what our culture attempts to do with us. Our culture says, you can have the American dream. You can be prosperous, you can be successful, you can have all of your dreams come true as long as you become just like us. As long as you believe what we believe. As long as you worship what we worship. As long as you bow the knee to the things that matter the most to us. Now, it's a powerful offer because who wants to be left out? Who wants to be in exile? Who wants to be an outsider? Who wants to be a square peg in a round hole? Who wants to feel like they're all alone? The question is, is there an alternative? Well, for many Israelites, the alternative was tribalism. In fact, most of the prophets of Israel during this time were encouraging the Israelites to completely separate themselves from the Babylonians and isolate themselves from the city. They preached a message that said, do not build houses in the city, do not plant gardens in the city, do not raise your children here, do not encourage them to marry and have children and grandchildren. These people are our enemies. Do not seek their welfare. Do not pray for them. And if you have to engage in them at all, do so with your fingers crossed. Do so holding your nose. Do so from a, a place of superiority and arrogance over these pagan people. Now, 
it, it sounds like a very attractive alternative. It sounds like a pious alternative. Doesn't that sound like something that God would want us to do? That God would want us to separate from the evil people of the world? Isn't that what holiness is? We don't engage with our culture. We don't interact with our culture. We build a separate us-versus-them culture. We isolate ourselves into little tribes. Here's Tim Keller. He writes this. Assimilation means that I go into the city and I engage it for my own individual power and wealth so that I just fit in and assimilate. Tribalism is where on the outside I smile but on the inside, I disdain. I despise the society, and I only deal with it to the degree that I need to in order to make my family and my tribe more powerful. You see, in Jeremiah's day, half the people said, assimilate, become just like the Babylonians. And the other half said, isolate. In our day and age, Half the people are saying, assimilate, while the other half are saying, isolate. Is there a third option? Well, according to God, there is. Verse 5, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters multiply there and do not decrease but seek the welfare of the city where i have sent you into exile and pray to the lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare now that's a shocking message because in israel's day babylon was such a wicked city the leaders of babylon were violent bloodthirsty impious, pagan people. They destroyed God's city of Jerusalem. They destroyed Solomon's temple. They threw Daniel into a lion's den. They threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into a fiery furnace. These were not good people. And yet God says, seek their welfare. What does that mean? Well, the word that we translate welfare into English is the Hebrew word shalom. It means wholeness and flourishing. It means goodness and completion. And God is saying, seek that for the people of Babylon. He's saying, pray for the people of Babylon. Ask me to bless them. Ask me to give them success. Let your children play with their children. Let them over to your house. Invite them over to your house for dinner. Make this city a better city for everyone. Not just for you and your tribe and your people, but for all people. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, it's probably because you recognize the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. He said almost the same thing. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God doesn't call us to assimilation, which is the secular option, just go along to get along. God doesn't call us to isolation, which is the religious option, us versus them, condemnation, judgmentalism. He calls us to be a city within a city. He calls us to be a light to the nations, which is the gospel option. God put us here. He put the Israelites in Babylon, and he put us in the city of Pensacola. And so we build houses here. And so we plant gardens here. We have families here. We love the city. We serve the city. We pray for the city because if and when it prospers, we too will prosper. This city is God's city. And we are, in the words of the Apostle Peter, the elect exiles of the dispersion. We are resident aliens. We are God's ambassadors. We are called to live here as citizens of there. Citizens of the kingdom of God. Do you know where you are? Do you know why God put you here? Have you assimilated to our culture? Are the the world's values the exact same as your values? Have you isolated yourself from the world out there? Do you look on the world in which we live with disdain and superiority over it? Or do you pray for the world? Do you love the world? Do you seek the good and flourishing and wholeness of our city? Not just our church within the city, but the whole city of Pensacola. If you do not know who you are, if you do not know where you are or why you're here, you will never be who God wants you to be. That's true for all of us, but it is especially true for our seniors and our graduates that we're celebrating today. Whether you're going from elementary school to middle school or middle school to high school or high school to college or college into graduate school, law school, medical school, uh, divinity school, pray for your teachers. Pray for the other students. Pray for your school. Pray that it would prosper, not just you within the school, not just people who believe exactly what you believe, But pray that God would be good to all. And as you do, love and serve and give. And when you do, God will be glorified in you. We are all exiles here. Don't assimilate. Don't isolate. Seek the shalom of the city. Seek the welfare of the city. For when it prospers, we too will prosper. Here's the second big idea. If you want to have gospel hope, you not only need to know where you are, you have to know where you're going. And again, I'm not talking about Sonny's. I'm not talking about Vallarta's at the church. Some of you are like, I'm going to Vallarta's next. I'm not talking about the 
golf course or the beach. I'm talking about knowing where God is taking you ultimately on your spiritual journey. Verse 10, For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Here's what he's saying. Right now, we're working for the shalom of our city. But someday, we will experience the shalom of God's city. Right now, we're exiles. Right now, this world is not our home. But Jesus is preparing a home for us in the kingdom of God. Do you remember what he said? In my father's house are many rooms or many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. For the Israelites, the hope was Jerusalem, the city of peace. For us, the hope is the new Jerusalem, the city of the prince of peace. Because of Jesus, we are headed to a place where good will triumph over evil. Because of Jesus, we have a future that is filled with hope. Because of Jesus, all of our fleeting prayers will be answered. This, this week, I met a new friend, and I was talking to him about this hope. I was talking to him about Jesus and the gospel, and this friend had been in prison for most of his adult life, in and out of prison, mostly in been out a couple of months, and he was talking to me about that experience, and he told me, he said, you know, chaplain, it's like the whole prison system is designed to keep you inside, and it's hard to argue with them. You get out, you can't find work, you can't find a job, and where do you go? Back to your old friends, back to the streets, and eventually back inside those prison walls. Here's what God is telling us in Jeremiah 29. In God's system, the whole system is designed to set you free. The whole system is about giving you a future and a hope. In the end, God will restore our fortunes. In the end, God will bring his people back home. In the end, God will gather all of his people from all of the nations. In the end, we will no longer be exiles or strangers or outcasts. In the end, we will be children of the living God. Now the question is, how does that happen? How do we get from where we are as exiles to where we're going as children of the living God? Third big idea. If you want gospel hope, 
we need to know how to get there. How do we get to the promised land? How do we avoid the lake? Here's the beauty of what Jesus did for us. Jesus redeemed exiles by becoming an exile. He left his very, very comfortable home in heaven and came to earth. A very uncomfortable part of earth, this tiny little city of Bethlehem, to a manger, a cattle stall, where he was born to a 14 or 15-year-old mother, a father who was maybe 18 to 20 years old. He learned the language literally and figuratively. He learned how to speak Hebrew. He learned how to speak his father and his mother's name. He learned to speak the language of love. He learned to speak the language of sorrow. He learned to speak the language of, of frustration. He learned to live here as a citizen of there. And then the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, the Son of God who spoke creation into existence, the Word of God who brought order out of the chaos was physically and spiritually torn apart. Jeremiah, the same Jeremiah who speaks about God's plans for us, penned the book of Lamentations. See if you can hear the voice of Jesus speaking through Jeremiah, through the exiles in Lamentations chapter 1. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Jesus' execution was more than an execution. His execution was an exile. Jesus was exiled on the cross, dying on a hill outside the city, abandoned by his friends as his father turned his face away. He was surrounded by people, and yet, if you read the story, he was all alone. Why did he do it? Why would Jesus undergo the pains of the exile on the cross? He did it to bring his exiled people back home. Jesus endured hopelessness on the cross in order to give us hope. Jesus died on the cross in order to give us life. Jesus suffered on the cross for our past in order to give us a future. How do we get from where we are as strangers and exiles in this world to where God wants us to be in that glorious promised land, which is promised to all of God's people, that city of peace, that city of shalom? The answer is Jesus if you come to Jesus this morning saying, Lord Jesus, I am an exile. My sins have driven me away from the promised land. I do not have a home with the people of God. And yet, Lord Jesus, I believe that you became an exile for me. 
I believe that you were exiled on the cross, that you endured my shame and my pain and my loneliness so that I might be accepted, so that I might have an everlasting home in the city of God, a glorious mansion with God's people. God will hear your prayer and he will bring your exiled heart home to heaven, home to Jesus, home to the promised land. He'll give you a future and a hope. That's good news for graduates. It's also good news for the rest of us. It's good news for everyone who believes. Let's go to God in prayer. O Lord our God, we thank you for the hope that we have because of Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, that you have plans for us. We thank you, Lord God, that even though we often drive the car into the lake, that even though we often make a mess of this world that you have given us, we so often sin and fall short of your glory. We thank you that you are there to rescue us, that you are always willing to bring your children back home. Lord, we cling to that promise in the weeks and months ahead. We ask, Lord, you would fill us with great joy through hope in Jesus. Hear our prayers. We pray in his name. Amen.